0: Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's sermon podcast. We all feel that gap between our experienced reality and those stories of God from either our family or even the Bible itself. But there are two things that bring that gap closer together the sign of Joseph's life and the dreams within the whole of the Joseph narrative. You're listening to Faith in the Darkness by Reverend Peter Yonker. As promised, our scripture reading tonight comes from the story of Joseph. Uh, I will not read the whole thing. It's very long. I will reflect on the whole thing, the whole story. But I will focus mostly on Genesis chapter 40, and I will read the whole chapter. And just to give you a sense of where we are in the Joseph story, Joseph is in an Egyptian prison, and he's there because he's resisted uh, Potiphar's wife, and she, being powerful, has had him thrown in prison. And he's been there for a long, long time. And here's what happens. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the cheap cupbearer and the cheap baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. He was like head of one part of the prison, because he was such a a dutiful person. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not all interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Jonah his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, And on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and then I put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, says Joseph. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put a cup in Pharaoh's hand just as you used to do when you were the cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me me kindness and mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried from the land of the Hebrews, and even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in this dungeon. When When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of my basket on my head. This is what it means, says Joseph. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. This is the word of the Lord. So Joseph's life was not, was not turning out the way that he had dreamed. As he lay in his cell at night, he could hear the sounds of the guards laughing outside his prison cell. His eyes went over to his empty supper dish and he could see the flies buzzing around it. And he closed his eyes and he remembered. He remembered from when he was a little boy really little. And he remember being back home in Canaan at his father Jacob's house, and he remembers running up to his father and saying, Daddy, 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 tell me, tell me some of those stories about your grandpa Abraham. And Jacob would lift little Joseph on his lap, and he would say, Oh, my son, have I told you? How my grandfather Abraham left the country of Ur with almost nothing, and he and Sarah went to a land, and he went just because God had promised to make him a great nation. Joseph, did I tell you how the Lord gave my grandfather Abraham a son when he was 90 years old? My father was born to my grandfather when he was 90 years old, Joseph. Joseph, have I ever told you, How the Lord protected Abraham from all sorts of dangers and made him a rich man and blessed him greatly. Oh, we serve a good God, Joseph. He is faithful. He will take care of you. He will bless you. Joseph loved those old stories. He believed those old stories. He set his whole life by those stories. And when he was sitting in his father's lap, those stories seemed completely true. But now Joseph was as far from his father's lap as he possibly could be. He was on the cold stone floor of an Egyptian dungeon. And sitting in this prison, he felt an enormous gap between the goodness and the hope of his father's stories and the reality of his present situation. And it wasn't because of anything he'd done. He had tried to live by those stories. But for some reason, his brothers hated him. Turned on him. First threw him into a well and were going to kill him. And then only ended up selling him into slavery. So he went to Potiphar's house. And at Potiphar's house, he tried to live by those stories. He tried to be faithful. But Potiphar's wife took a shine to him, propositioned him. And when he rejected that, she used her power to get him thrown into the dungeon. Accused him of sexual advances. And then in prison, finally, it looks like something good is going to happen to him. He ends up on the same cell block as the cupbearer and the baker of the king. And he manages to interpret the cupbearer's dream and tells the cupbearer that in three days he will be back with Pharaoh. And he says, remember me when you get back to Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh about me. Tell him about Joseph. Tell him I'm I'm innocent. I need to get out of this place. And after that day, when the cupbearer left and they embraced, Joseph was sure that the next day or the day after that, some Egyptian soldiers would show up at the dungeon and say, set Joseph free. But one day led to another, and one week led to another, and one month left to another, and he was still there. He had been forgotten. The distance between the old stories of Jacob and the reality of his life was as far apart as they had ever been. And it's clear if you read Genesis 40 that Joseph feels that gap. He feels the gap between his reality and the stories. I think recently only I read verses 14 and 15 and heard the pain in Joseph's voice as he says those things. I've done nothing wrong that they should have put me in a dungeon. I tried to read it when I read it earlier with a sense of of desperation. You can hear the desperation in Joseph's voice. It's, It's like his lament. It's almost like he's saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me in this place? We can identify with Joseph in that dungeon. Not because any of us have ever been in a dungeon that's anywhere near as horrible as what Joseph is in. But we know that gap between the old, old stories that we set our life by and sometimes the reality of our lives. We read and we sing, the Lord will not let your foot stumble or slip. And then we see one of our beloved church members, a young parent, come down with cancer and die when their children still clearly needed them. And there's a gap. We read, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then we see the chaos of the natural disasters that give Haiti a one-two punch. And we see the chaos in Afghanistan and we feel a gap. We hear Jesus say, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then we walk beside our depressed friend who feels utterly forsaken by God and nothing we can say and nothing we can do can somehow make them feel God's presence in their life and we feel this gap. We may not live in an Egyptian prison but we all know that distance. Well, so far my sermon has not been particularly cheerful and I apologize for that because ultimately this passage is not meant to make us feel blue or to make us feel this gap. It's meant to give us hope. And as I've wrestled with this passage this week, I think there are two things in this passage that help us to deal with this gap, that speak hope into this gap. And the first hopeful thing is the sign of Joseph's life. The way Joseph handles this gap that he lives in is quite inspiring. In that gap, despite the darkness, despite his desperation, which we hear in verses 14 and 15, Joseph maintains his integrity, and he does that in four ways. In the darkness, Joseph somehow still manages to be compassionate. Did you notice that in verses 6 and 7, despite his desperation, despite that he's in this terrible place, Joseph moves towards the cupbearer and the baker when he hears that they are sad. He has the energy, he has the strength, he has the compassion to ask them that simple question, Why are you so sad? That's not a small thing for many of us, myself included, when we are stressed out, when there's stuff going on in our life, I know for me, if I'm stressed out as something as simple as being behind on my sermon, my compassion meter goes way down. So if someone knocks on my door or if the phone rings, I get grouchy. And I am not inclined, if someone crosses my path, to ask them, how are you doing? Why are you so sad? Are you okay? But Joseph in the middle of a dungeon, still has the compassion and the capacity to ask that question, and when he hears the answer, to help. In the darkness, Joseph also keeps his moral focus. house of Potiphar, right? He undergoes temptation, and it would be really easy for Joseph to rationalize giving in to that temptation. Life has treated me badly. God has given me no favors. I'm inclined to have a little fun in my life. I'm going to pick this fruit. It would have been really easy to make that rationalization. But Joseph stays on the moral path. In the darkness, Joseph keeps speaking his faith. The cupbearer and the baker asked Joseph to interpret the dream. It would be easy for Joseph to say, yeah, I'm good at dreams. Let me interpret that for you. But he doesn't. He says, do not all interpretations belong to God? As frustrated as he is with God, even though he laments his position, and we're allowed to lament our position, his face is still turned towards his Lord, and there's something deep inside him, at the center of him, which still says, God is able, God is good. God is able, God is good. He keeps speaking his faith. And in that ruthless world, Joseph practices forgiveness. We have a sense of how vendettas are worked out in this world when we see how Pharaoh treats the cupbearer and the baker, right? He, he kills the baker and keeps the cupbearer. I wonder, when you were a kid, I remember hearing that story, and I thought, well, the baker must have done something bad, and the cupbearer must have done something good. If you read the text, read it closely, it's very clear on his birthday, Pharaoh... Sees no difference between the baker and the cupbearer, but he is exercising godlike power of election. He's showing before his court that he, Pharaoh, has the capricious power of life and death to meet out as he sees fit. That's how vengeance worked in the world that Joseph lived. But when his brothers come to him later, And he is second command in Egypt, and he has them in their hands, and he has the power to exact vengeance. He does not do so. He forgives and embraces. In the darkness, he speaks his faith. He forgives. He keeps his moral integrity. He exercises compassion. In the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis says somewhere that the devils are never so much in retreat, is when a Christian person is living in a world where all trace of God seems to have vanished and where all blessing seems to have fled away and yet somehow in the midst of that is able to obey and able to love. It's in those kinds of situations where the devil is put in full retreat. And that's what we see in Joseph in this passage. So Joseph's life is one hopeful sign dealing with this gap. But the second hopeful sign is deeper and more substantial. I started the sermon by saying that when Joseph's in prison, the gap between the stories he loved and his present reality seemed impossibly different. He must have felt like this was a nice story, but the real story of this world was the cruelty of Pharaoh. Or the real story of this world was just chaos. You know, life just happens and there's no sense to it. But even in prison... Throughout this story, as many bad things as happened to Joseph, the true story of this world finds a way to insert itself and make itself known. And in the Joseph cycle of stories, the true story of the world comes forward, bursts through in those dreams. All the dreams that Joseph has, all the dreams that he interprets, these dreams are like a tearing away, a momentary tearing away of the veil where you see between, beyond the surface of this savagery to this true story of the universe, to God's covenant story, and you see the one who truly holds history in his hands. Cupbearers forget their promises. Pharaohs are cruel. Earthly brothers and sisters are not steadfast in their love. But beneath all of that, under all of that, the love and promise of the Lord endures. And it is the dream that makes that clear. Joseph doesn't see that clearly himself until Genesis chapter 50. When he finds himself standing in front of his brothers... And he thinks back to that very first dream he had where all the sheaves bowed down to his sheave and he sees it happen before his eyes and he realizes, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, the dream was true the whole time. It's always been God's story. From the very beginning, in the prison, in Potiphar's house, in the bottom of the well, it has always been God's story. The dream is still churning underneath the surface of a world that seems cruel. God still makes himself known. In the June issue of First Things, there is a really, really great essay uh, by an essayist and poet who I've never heard of before called Paul Kingsnorth. And Kingsnorth, it's, it's sort of a, an autobiographical piece where he describes his growing up. He grew up in Britain in the 1980s which is to say he grew up in a kind of upbringing that was completely religious. His parents were atheists. He never darkened the door of a church. He took it for, a, for granted that there was no God. And he took it for granted that the only solutions in this world, the only powers in this world, were mechanical powers. Technology, the political machinery, that's how things moved. That's how things got done. That's this world. That's the story of this world. And yet, underneath that conviction, it was like there was this dream that was churning beneath the surface. He, he admits that as a young man, despite his beliefs, he'd love to go into old English churches. He loved the feeling of just sitting in an empty church. This is what he writes. Like the narrator in Philip Larkin's poem, Church Going, I would venture into any church I found standing in awkward reverence, wondering what I was looking for, drawn by some sense that this was a serious house on a serious earth. Obviously, there was no God, I said to myself, but still, the silence of a small church in England had a quality that couldn't be found anywhere else. Something's churning under the surface. He feels the same thing in nature. Trudging across moors, camping by mountain lakes as the June sun set, I could feel the same deep old power rolling through it all, welding it together, flowing from the land and into me and back again. Nothing humans could build could come close to this intense wonder. He's still an atheist, but something is churning, and he carries his atheism into middle age. And yet this dream dries into things. He takes up activism. He takes up Zen Buddhism. He takes up Wicca. He starts going to covens. And then one night before he and his coven, his Wiccan religion are about to have some sort of feast, Jesus comes to him in all things a dream and speaks to him. And he says, it was as if my life was shattered in an instant. All my ancient longings and restlessness suddenly had a face and a name. Kings North became a Christian, and he says he's finally found the path that leads home. Quoting again, Like C.S. Lewis, I couldn't ignore the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. In the end, I did not become a Christian because I could argue myself in it. I became a Christian because it was true. So the true story of this world is this transformative love of God that comes to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the story of this world. It churns in everyone's hearts. And this is a story that we Christians don't have to prove We finally don't have to defend because it's just simply true. And you either surrender to this story or it runs you over. Beneath the surface of secularism, beneath the roar of the economic machine, the voice of God still speaks. And this is God's story. So there are lots of days where we feel the gap where we feel the chaos, but just like Joseph coming out of prison and just like Jesus coming out of the grave, there will come a day for us, maybe a day where we feel like we're in prison, but when all of a sudden, in a flash and a twinkling of an eye, we will find ourselves in a place of light and joy and peace and happiness, and there will be laughter and there will be friendly faces and there will be the face of Jesus the curtain will be pulled back. And what sometimes seems like only a dream to us will be utterly and completely true. And we will be so happy to be part of God's story. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness to your saints from the Old Testament through the New Testament into your promised future. Again and again in the lives of people who felt like they were in a dead end, you lifted them up and made them new and showed the power that you had in your resurrection. Lord, again in this place, we take refuge in your true story and we set our lives according to your plan. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.